such a joy to be with you all this morning. As many of you know, my family and I were able to spend a few days away at the lake with Mary's parents this last week. Uh, we had a phenomenal time. Uh, it was just great to relax and, and be rejuvenated. Um, and one of the first things that Mary and I actually bonded over as teenagers uh, was our mutual love of water skiing. Uh, she grew up skiing and is great at it, and I'm just really stubborn with an uncanny sense of balance. So it, it works out great. Uh, but over the past 20 plus years of being with Mary's family, I've picked up a few things. I've since learned how to slalom halfway decently. I've started to learn how to drive the boat a little bit. Uh, I've picked up a slight addiction to our favorite lake dessert, which is great value chocolate ice cream in the red Solo Cups. It's a must-have. Um, and I've also found myself repeating some of the family jokes that have just become second nature. Uh, one of my favorites is repeated whenever the boat driver is getting ready to pull someone in the water and the driver is giving directions. I'm going to go this way and then we'll flip around in the next cove. And then the person in the water yells, I'll follow you. Like, <laughs> there's not really another option, right? You're not going to rebel against the boat. Um, but if we really consider it, there's a lot of beauty in that phrase, I'll follow you. At its heart, it's an admission of total trust. It's a, a declaration of dependence. And while the, the person in the water has some part to contribute, like they have to hold on to the rope and put in some effort on their own part, the real strength comes from what they are connected to. And today we are continuing our series, Unlikely Heroes, and over the course of the summer, we're looking at several individuals from the Old Testament, but not the ones who would have been your first pick to be the heroes in their stories. So far, we've considered the stories of Jonah and Ruth, and in those stories, we saw how God used Jonah, the rebellious nationalistic prophet, to turn the hearts of an entire nation. And we also saw how God used Ruth, an impoverished widow from an enemy land to eventually bring about the birth of Israel's greatest king. And now today we're going to jump forward about one generation or so from Ruth and we'll begin looking at the story of a man named Gideon. But before we get into his story, let me remind you that these aren't characters in a fairy tale. They are real people facing real challenges and seeing God move in real ways. So to better understand the reality of this time, let me just briefly paint the backdrop for you. Gideon, like Ruth, lived in a time in Israel's history known as the period of the judges. Uh, this was a pretty troubled time after Moses had led the Israelites out of Egypt and after Joshua had led them into the promised land. And what should have been a season of celebration and fruitfulness became defined by a single condemning phrase. It says the last line in the book of Judges, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did whatever seemed right to him. Or some translations say everyone did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. So instead of the people of Israel being unified and mission-minded, 
They were all distracted by whatever seemed most important at the moment. Now, in their context, it looked like moral corruption. It looked like uh, worship of false gods. It looked like disregarding God's command for justice and purity. For us today, we live in a, a really similar time. As I'm sure you know and have experienced, one of the governing doctrines in our society is the statement, you do you. You do whatever feels right. If it feels good, do it. That's what our society preaches to itself. And all the while, our people are falling apart. We're experiencing personal brokenness to new heights. People are exposing themselves in ways that you cannot imagine. They're worshiping just about everything except the one true God. And all the while, the church has been arguing about what color our carpets should be. Now, we've turned inward and taken our eyes off of our missional mandate. Now, let me just say briefly that I am so proud of you as a church. Like, you have come together around the mission. Like, we don't just say our mission statement each week. You're living it out. You are saturating your community with the overflowing love of Jesus. You are intentionally praying for your neighbors. You're flipping your perspective on your neighborhoods and your workplaces and where you go for fun as you're beginning to view them and pursue them as your missional outposts where God has strategically placed you in order to point others to Jesus. And I couldn't be more proud. You all are carrying out the mission. But now back to Gideon. His story took place in the period of the judges, as I said, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Idol worship had become the norm. There was great poverty across the land, and the Israelites were plundered and oppressed by a people called the Midianites. And it's in that state of despair and overwhelming brokenness that we find Gideon. And his story begins in Judges chapter 6. If you would, go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in the seat back in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible at home or if you just like this one better, let me encourage you to take that Bible as our gift to you. And you can find Judges 6 in those white and orange Bibles on page 135, or it will also be on the screen. But before we begin reading the text, let me just clarify one question you may have as we read. Uh, there is an individual introduced here referred to as the angel of the Lord. And as we're reading this, you might ask, who is this angel of the Lord? And some of you may have heard that this could be Jesus. Some may have said that it's Gabriel or Michael, but who is this angel of the Lord? Now, personally, I think it's important to note that the text doesn't give us a ton of information about this angel of the Lord. So we have to hold whatever answer we come to loosely, right? Uh, could it be that this is Jesus appearing at different points throughout history? Maybe. Some early church fathers believed that it was. Those who hold to this belief point to the fact that Jesus himself said that he was before Abraham. His exact quote, before Abraham was, I am. And others who hold this position 
look at how the text switches almost interchangeably between the title, The Lord, and The Angel of the Lord. And Jesus would certainly hold the title of the Lord. Um, Jesus, as we said, was alive and active throughout all of the Old Testament, so it's possible that this could have been a physical appearance of the pre-incarnate Jesus. However, and I could be wrong here, I think it's better not to assume that this angel of the Lord must be Jesus. I don't want to build an understanding around something that is unclear in Scripture. And honestly, I think there's an intentional mystery around this individual. God could have told us in the New Testament, revealing that he was the angel of the Lord throughout the Old Testament, but he doesn't do that. So no one can claim 100% certainty on either side of the question. So personally, instead of assuming this must be Jesus, I think it's better to consider this angel of the Lord as a special representative, someone who speaks on behalf of God and is even recognized as carrying the power and the image of God. And to me, this paves the way for what we see in the New Testament when Jesus' followers, you and I, are empowered with the Holy Spirit and sent out to the nations. It seems more in line with what we see in passages like 2 Corinthians 5.20, which says, We are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. As followers of Jesus, we have been given the role and the responsibility of carrying his message to those who he has placed around us. We have the privilege of telling others the good news that Jesus alone can save us from our sins. He's given us his authority. He's given us his message, and we represent him to the world around us. So with the understanding that this angel of the Lord is a special and mysterious representative or ambassador of God, let's go ahead and begin reading Judges 6, verses 11 and 12. The angel of the Lord came, and he sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite. His son Gideon was threshing wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, valiant warrior. Now, we need to see this for what it is. Gideon and the Israelites were oppressed. The Midianites, a neighboring people to the east, who were actually also descendants of Abraham, the Midianites had been cursed by God after they had attempted to undermine the worship of Yahweh. And from that point on, there was this ongoing warfare and violence between the Israelites and the Midianites. And at this point in history, the Midianites had begun to starve the Israelites by raiding their villages during the harvest season and stealing their food. But if you remember when we discussed the threshing floor with Ruth and Boaz a few weeks ago, the typical Israelite harvest practices involved being out in this open place called the threshing floor, which was typically on a hillside, easily viewed from a distance, where the farmer would throw the crop into the air, and then the wind along the hillside would actually blow the lighter chaff away, and the wheat would fall to the ground to then be processed. But in this case, in Gideon's case, to prevent the Midianites from discovering his harvest, 
Gideon, our unlikely hero, he had been threshing wheat in the wine press, which is a less than ideal location to separate the wheat from the chaff. Like, imagine the wine press to almost be like a walled-off in-ground swimming pool. Uh, there's a shallow section, and then there's a much deeper section. And it obviously wouldn't have gotten nearly as much wind as the typical threshing floor. Uh, he would have had to pitch the wheat higher so that it would catch any wind that did fly by. It would have been way more difficult for Gideon. But all that to say, this, this was not Gideon trying to show some entrepreneurial spirit. He wasn't trying to create a new way to thresh it wasn't a sign of bravery or rebellion. Uh, in fact, this was weakness and fear on full display. And most people looking at him would have given him the title Gideon the Coward. And yet, the angel of the Lord called him Valiant Warrior. Now, isn't it beautiful that God sees beyond what you and I see? You know, when you look in the mirror, what are the names and the descriptions that tend to pop out at you? And maybe you see the word insecure. Maybe you see unstable. Maybe you see unworthy. Uh, maybe it's not a word, but it's a, a past action or decision that continues to haunt you and attempts to define you. But the Apostle Paul, he gives an incredible word of hope to every one of us. He says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. It's not much good news yet, but here it is. And some of you used to be like this, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now, Paul, he could have expanded that list of immorality. But most of us, as we look through that list we can check off at least one of those boxes already, can't we? But that list isn't what defines us. Regardless of what you see in the mirror, God sees us through the eyes of whether or not we've been washed by the blood of Jesus. And for all who have been cleansed by him, we've been given a new name. We've been given a new title. We've been made children of the king. So when the angel of the Lord called Gideon valiant warrior, he wasn't describing what he saw at the moment. He was describing who God was making him into. And as followers of Jesus, we aren't defined by our weaknesses, but by his strength. And back to our I'll follow you illustration with the boat Gideon wasn't the one gathering the strength and the courage, trying to muscle his way on top of the waves. God was declaring what his own strength would do in and through Gideon. He was stating what his own courage, God's own courage, would accomplish through Gideon. 
He was declaring what his strength would accomplish through Gideon. And yet Gideon still didn't see it. He still saw the names weak, powerless, victim, worthless, all popping up in his reflection. And that's clear from his response to this angel of the Lord. In fact, to make this a little more clear, as we read the next portion of the text, I'm going to insert the Hebrew names used for Lord. So as you hear Yahweh, uh, typically in our Bibles it's written as all caps, L-O-R-D, know that this is a relational, this is a worshipful name for God specifically. It's recognizing God for who he is. And when you hear Adon or Adonai, it's more of a, a generic title of honor, like sir. But it's not j- just given to God alone like Yahweh is. So let's continue reading verses 13 through 16. Gideon said to him, Please, Adon, my Lord, if Yahweh, the Lord, is with us, why has all this happened? And where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about? They said, hasn't Yahweh, the Lord, brought us out of Egypt? But now Yahweh, the Lord, has abandoned us and handed us over to Midian. Yahweh, the Lord, turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and deliver Israel from the grasp of Midian. I am sending you. And Gideon said to him, Please, Adonai, Lord, how can I deliver Israel? Look, my family is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the youngest in my father's family. But I will be with you, Yahweh, the Lord said to him. You will strike Midian down as if it were one man. Go in the strength you have. Can you imagine how abrasive and confrontational Gideon's words are here? Like, didn't you hear what I said? I don't have any strength. In fact, maybe I would have a little bit of strength if God had actually shown up like he said he was going to. But no, he's abandoned us. He's forgotten about us. So what strength do I have? And if he's planning to strike down Midian, surely he's got the wrong guy. I'm a nobody from a long line of nobodies. And if you think I'm the guy, there's been a huge mistake. After this second reassurance of God's strength and certain victory over the Midianites, Gideon asks for a sign. Like, God, prove that it's you. And Gideon goes to make a big meal, big enough for a god, in fact, and he sets it before this angel of the Lord. And the angel commands Gideon to take the meat and the bread and set it on a rock, and then to pour the broth over it all. And as he does so, the angel of the Lord, he reached out his staff, he touched the food, and immediately it burst into flames. And just as quickly, the angel disappeared. Now, as soon as all of this happens, Gideon finally realizes that he has, in fact, been interacting with the angel of Yahweh. But instead of being emboldened, he starts freaking out, thinking that he's going to die because he's been in the presence of God's messenger. 
And isn't that just like us? We resort to fear instead of resting on his faithfulness. Just as Gideon asked, God proved his presence. He showed his favor. And again, similar to the boat analogy, if if we hold onto the rope and stay tethered to God and his strength, he will begin to pull us and we'll witness his strength in action. So stop focusing on the waves. Turn your attention to the one who can lift you out of the water. From there, God gave Gideon his first assignment. And you may have heard the the phrase, the light that shines the farthest shines the brightest at home. Gideon's hometown was full of idol worshipers, even his father's own house. So God gave him a mission, destroy the altars and reestablish right worship at home. Let's go ahead and skip down to verses 25 through 27 in our text. On that very night, the Lord said to him, take your father's young bull and a second bull, seven years old. Then tear down the altar of Baal that belongs to your father and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Build a well-constructed altar to the Lord your God on the top of this mound. Take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah pole you cut down. So Gideon took ten of his male servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his father's family and the men of the city to do it in the daytime, he did it at night. Now that very night, God gave Gideon his first mission. And even though he was scared, Gideon did what God commanded. He destroyed Baal's altar. He cut down the Asherah poles and he built a new altar to the true God. And of course, this ruffled some feathers in his community and people were ready to kill Gideon, but it ended up being the beginning of a renewed focus among the people of Israel. Gideon's obedience led others to take steps of obedience. And as we consider how to up the wattage of our lights at home, I think we can all identify some pretty practical ways to take specific steps. So here are a few suggestions of how we can shine more brightly at home, how we can take steps in the strength that we've been given by God. First, I would encourage you, if you aren't already, establish a daily rhythm of scripture reading and prayer. Consider your schedule to find a fairly consistent time that you can dedicate five to ten minutes, maybe, if you're starting out. Uh, Maybe you can stack it on another habit, like listening to scripture while you exercise or reading at the breakfast table. And be sure to set a goal that isn't too overwhelming. Maybe start with four or five days a week and slowly work your way up to longer periods or more days each week. Another way you can shine bright at home is begin taking walks through your neighborhood and praying for your neighbors. If you haven't already, let me encourage you to use the Bless Every Home app that we introduced a few weeks ago and begin praying for your neighbors by name. Uh, 
Also, another way we can shine brightly at home, we can practice sharing the gospel. Uh, You can download the Life on Mission app, and this app walks you through how to present two different methods of sharing the gospel, including my favorite, which is the three circles. Uh, You can even watch others give the presentation through the app for extra coaching. And let me just affirm that you can do this. Like, in fact, you will make a greater impact on the people in your life than I ever could. Uh, Too many people have bought the lie that sharing the gospel is just for the pastor and that it should only happen in church services each week. But I will celebrate any time someone puts their faith in Jesus, absolutely anywhere. But just to be totally honest with you, I can't wait to hear about more and more Tuesday conversions. People coming to follow Jesus in the middle of the week where I don't have anything to do with it, where he is using you to speak truth into the lives of the people around you. God has given you relationships. He's given you gifts and passions. And I can't wait to hear about when you take the kids to the park or when you have lunch with a coworker, or you're talking at the fence with a neighbor, and through that, the Spirit gives you the prompting to share the gospel, and He redeems those people right around you. That's what I'm praying for. Here's another practical way to to help the light shine brighter at home. There's a really awesome resource called Right Now Media. Uh, It's a lot like Netflix for church, Uh, There's a ton of Bible studies and kids' TV shows and teachings focused around marriage and the workplace and living as a teenager in today's world. And uh, we have a free membership to access this awesome resource at Overflow Church. And if you would like access to this, uh, go ahead and let me encourage you, just pull out your phones and text the word right now to 816-685-685. 8970, and you'll get a login code where you can set up your own account. But it's a great tool that you can access to help the light shine brighter at home. Uh, One final way, and the most important way to help the light shine brighter at home, is to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Uh, You can check off all of the other boxes. You can read the Bible for hours a day. You can pray all through the night. You can know the gospel backwards and forwards. But if you haven't put your trust in Jesus, it's like you're behind the boat, fully geared up, knowing the instructions, but not holding on to the rope. So I want to give you the opportunity today to grab on to the rope and honestly tell Jesus, I will follow you. I will put my trust in your strength. And the beauty of the gospel is that all of us are in this together. Scripture says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's not one of us who has earned God's favor. And the consequences of sin for each and every one of us is death. It's separation from God for eternity. But the good news is that Jesus loved us enough to take our place, to take the consequences of our sin. He's the only one who didn't deserve to die because he was sinless. And yet he volunteered to take our place. 
And that's good news. You see, we simply have to trust in him to hold on to the rope and say, God, I, I can't do this myself. I cannot save myself. I need you. I need your strength. And if that's you today, if, if you realize that you've been trying to muscle your way through life, trying to be good enough, trying to earn God's love, I would encourage you just to recognize that there is only one way to be saved, and you can't do it yourself. It's only through the strength of Jesus. So I'd invite all of us just to, to take a moment and bow our heads in prayer. And if you need to put your trust in Jesus, let today be the day that you, you turn your life around, not through your own actions, but by trusting Jesus to pull you in his strength. And I would encourage you just to pray something like this in your head. God, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that my sin has separated me from you. And that I deserve death. I deserve all of the consequences that come from my sin. But I believe that Jesus came as God in the flesh, the sinless one who went to the cross for me to take my place. And I believe that he isn't dead, but he's risen from the grave. And that through his strength, you can make me alive too. So Father, I put my trust in you. I ask you to forgive me for my sins. Make me new and help me to follow you. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.